Seaver, now a strike away from his first major league no-hitter. The Reds leading it four to nothing in the ninth inning. Hendrick puts ahead of the bat on the plate. Werner hangs a sign. Seaver with a pause, the check and the pitch. He bounces to first base. Dreesen has it. He goes to the bag and Seaver's got it. Bob Seaver has pitched his first major league no-hitter. And one, one of the great moments in the Hall of Fame career of a baseball legend, Tom Seaver, who has passed away at the age of 75. Tom Terrific leads us off on this edition of the Sporting Views with former big league pitcher Bill Kruger. I'm Tom Glasgow. And uh, Bill, when we were kids, we, we both loved following the exploits of a 300-game winner, well, an eventual 300-game winner in Tom Seaver. You know, I just saw him a few years ago at the Fred Hutch uh, luncheon speak and said hello to him, and uh, it just couldn't sort of envision him passing away already. But uh, it's a really sad day. He seemed like a, a fantastic guy, well-respected across baseball. Of course, a giant as a, as a pitcher. Uh, as I think about him, um, he was coming on with the amazing Mets. And of course, that was a thorn in my side because I was a Chicago Cub fan watching the, the Cubs, uh, you know, lose that giant lead uh, and uh, lose out to the amazing Mets. And Tom Seaver was a big part of that. And then, of course, his career just blossomed after that. I mean, the numbers are just eye pop. You talk about a 300-game winner. He's got something in the neighborhood of uh, 261 complete games and 61 shutouts. 231 complete games and 61 shutouts. Unbelievable. Three-time Cy Young Award winner. You know, as I think about him uh, in the context of the greatest – I mean, certainly considered one of the greatest pitchers of all time. I would say he could be the greatest right-hander of all time. Wow. You could make the argument. Over I mean, Nolan about, Ryan, for example, let's throw Nolan Ryan. Well, a, well he, he had he had the numbers, but he didn't he didn't win. He wasn't a Cy Younger. He won. He threw a lot of like he was like, you know, uh, how how do I explain it? He was he was an amazing specimen of a pitcher. But he was a 500 pitcher. He wasn't a winner like Seaver. Seaver was a winner. He was a Cy Young Award winner. He had a you know. 100 games over 500 record. He had an ERA in the high twos. I mean, he, he played championship baseball and pitched in the clutch. Now, some of that might have been just the, the timing and the teams that Nolan played on. But, you know, Nolan's numbers are unbelievable. He was from another planet. But I think, you know, and then we could, we could talk about, you know, you could talk about Greg Maddox, 360 wins. Yeah. You talk about Pedro Martinez pitching through that really, really challenging time in baseball when offense was so high. But I think when you put all the chips on the table, I think this is the greatest right-hander of all time. There you go. Very high praise. Uh, we, we heard the call of his uh, lone no-hitter, five one-hitters. So we add those numbers to that incredible uh, list that you had uh, mentioned. I actually got to meet him, and it, it was by surprise. I was uh, playing, uh, this is probably oh, a good 15 years ago, uh, in the area. And for folks that are listening outside of the Seattle area, that is where Bill and I are are located. So it's a charity golf event. And, um, you know, I was hoping I, I, as a local sportscaster, I was hoping I wasn't pegged into one of those celebrity spots. Cause I just, I never felt like I fit that. So when I found out I was playing not only with an actual celebrity in Tom Seaver, a guy who was a hall of famer and the fact that it took the pressure off me being a celebrity, I was, I was thrilled from all kinds of angles, but yeah. he was, um, you know, it's just interesting. Uh, um, he, he, he tolerated my golf, which, you know, that, that, that takes a lot. 
but he was just a guy that, uh, at least on that day, he was, I kind of saw the competitiveness in him, not that he was over the top for that type of event, but he was very focused. He was very methodical. And I was just thinking, okay, well, that's just a, that's just a little taste of what made him such a great success on the mound. Yeah, I, I think, you know, physical tools are one thing, but it's the ability to concentrate and to be able to think, think through uh, a lineup and to think ahead and to be able to focus when the pressure's on. And he clearly had all those things in spades. And of course, had a marvelous uh, broadcasting career after he left baseball. Yeah. He was uh, very successful. One of the, the one of the beginners, I think, you know, of, of transitioners from the field to the broadcast. I mean, I think of Tony Kubek, and then I think of Tom Seaver. That's yeah. kind of the next name in my mind. I Joe Gargiola, but he wasn't nearly the player that Seaver was. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was in our biz, and he he did he did very well. Yeah, and the nickname Tom Terrific for a very good reason. Uh, one of the all-time yeah. greats. Speaking of all-time greats, we transition to another. Hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you. This has been making his debut on social media, and it's nice to be welcomed. I'm delighted to see if I can't serve you in any way, shape, or form. We might chat about a, a famous date in baseball or a player or a team, and hopefully nothing controversial. This is strictly a meeting of friends having some fun talking about our favorite subject. So pull up a chair and be ready to join me, hopefully in the very near future as we start our careers together on social media. So there you have it. This is, this is awesome. Twitter is going bonkers because at age 92, Bill, the Dodger legend, 67 years, the voice of Dodger baseball, Vince Scully, has joined social media, Twitter, to be specific. How about that? I, I just, I'm kind of flabbergasted by that, uh, that he's been able to speed his game up to uh, play in that space. Of course, you know, you got to get, get out there with all the idiots and the trolls and you know, you're going to the dark side playing on Twitter. But uh, I think if you're talking about a one-way voice coming out, a one-way opinion, what Twitter, you know, thrives on, I mean, he's, he's tough to top, right? What's coming back at Vin Scully? Who's coming back at him? Well, Who can and- mess with him if you listen to him on the air he had he had an amazing recall besides having an, a, a, an unbelievable gift for broadcast we all know that he was yeah. i mean he was the sinatra of broadcasters i mean he was the best right yeah. but he had an amazing recall uh, of of games and names and things that happened and his cadence was so baseball it's just and i had the chance to you know be a dodger for a second and uh you know, it's cool that uh, somewhere in the archive, there's a game that I pitched where Vince Scully, at least for a couple of innings, uh, was uh, talking about me. That's awesome. So, kind of cool. You know, well, here's something else that's kind of cool. As, as we record this podcast, it's the Sporting Views podcast, by the way, yes. once again. Um, he has already, Bill, 98,000 followers in roughly those seven hours. 98,000. Now, what I, find, I what I find more interesting is he is following 22 people since really? he joined Twitter. Some of those um, folks, are you ready? We're going yeah. to find, um, as you might imagine, it's a, it's a good amount 
of uh, folks that cover the game of baseball, but it also includes the one non-baseball person I found, gentleman by the name of Barack Obama. So there you go. There's a, just a slight sample of who Vin Scully is following, but a lot of baseball people in there. So that's pretty, pretty good non-baseball choice, I think. Well, pretty good. And what yeah. an honor, though, to be one of the people that Vin Scully follows. Right. right? How even about as that? A, even as a former president, you got to feel like I've finally arrived. 44 yeah. has finally arrived. He's being followed by Vin Scully. Yeah. Brock's pulling Twitter. out his old glove and pounding yeah. it with a ball right now. He's kind of getting excited. Without a doubt. Hit that horn! <laughs> Gotta get a new horn! Believe it or not, we are one week away from the kickoff to obviously what's going to be in numerous respects a fascinating NFL season. One, I... Heck, it looks like they are going to actually get it underway. Uh, Thursday night game with Houston at the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. But, Bill, there's so many interesting parts of this. Obviously, like every other sport that has taken place uh, in this country with a restart uh, due to coronavirus, no fans. So the home field, which to me may be as important in that sport as any sport, um, won't be there. Wouldn't think it would be there, even if you're piping in crowd noise. Um, now, what do you think this is going to be like? Yeah, I mean, the, the idea that your home field can, uh, you know, like when you think about uh, the Seahawks playing at home, you know, and uh, at, at CenturyLink and the noise that they used to have, that deafening noise that used to force uh, silent counts and all that kind of thing, that's gone. And whatever energy... It's just not going to be there. These players are going to have a brand new world to be uh, functioning in. And every call, everything that's happening that's verbal, everybody's going to hear everything on the field. I think it's, a, it's going to be interesting to see how that some of those things uh, end up being you know, less verbal, right? You kind yeah. of wonder. So, I mean, I, I'm not a, an expert on how much happens before the snap, but I know there's quite a bit of you know, verbal exchange with players. And so... Uh, above and beyond just the competitive exchange. <laughs> right. So, so uh, it, it's going to be fascinating. And there's just so much, uh, you know, these players are, are getting after this physical, right? And so what, what, what does that mean in regards to just trying to keep the, the virus uh, in, in check? Yeah. And, and because you know? we're, we're going into, they're going to, they're going to be carrying this into flu season. We don't know what the ramifications are of a flu season yeah. combined with COVID com you know, with all of that stuff. So look, we're all going to keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. Yeah. I, I will say this. Um, I, I think the challenge for the NFL players to some degree is, is to deliver, if you will, at a competitive level that we have seen in the bubble with the NBA. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you could almost make a case that the, the, the product, not the experience without the fans, not the experience, but the product that the NBA has displayed uh, through its, the completion of its regular season and now into the playoffs, that league has done a phenomenal job pulling this off so far. Yeah, it, it, they have. They, they, they really uh, made a really strong decision. And the players, uh, whether it's because they didn't have the power to say that we don't want to play in a bubble, but the sheer fact that they've done that, I think, is really – created a, a hyper-focused, uh, you know, really competitive um, playoff. Yeah. 
I mean, the baseball, we need, to, we need to be a little patient with baseball because baseball had more season to play out. They've got a 16-team playoff coming that could, yeah. that could rival what the NBA is doing. Uh, you know, the NBA ratings haven't been real spectacular, mm-hmm. but that's still uh, because I think it's summertime. And I think maybe people aren't really in tune to basketball in the summertime. You and I are, but not everybody else is. But as, the, as, the, uh, as, it, as, as it advances in the playoffs, I think we'll see a heightened interest, uh, you know, applauding the NBA. And, and so the NFL's got – the NFL has had a chance to watch everybody, you know, uh, stub their toe or do it right. or you know, they, They've had enough to look at now that uh, they should have a, a good, good sense of how to do this well. Yeah. Along those lines, I would recommend if folks uh, have not watched Hard Knocks on HBO, which is the documentary series of training camp. And every year they, you know, they pick a different team to follow. Well, what's unique about Hard Knocks this year in the fourth episode uh, aired last night on, on HBO is they're covering two teams this year instead of the usual one. And that's both of the LA teams, the Rams and the Chargers. And much of the focus has been on how these teams and how the league is dealing with NFL football in the COVID era, from social distancing to testing to, you know, trying to protect the team and added responsibilities. So they really have done a great job, some, some fascinating insights into what NFL teams are going through, trying to get this season off the ground again, which it looks like they will. And then hopefully being able to take it through a full regular season, postseason, and on to a Super Bowl. So um, we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed on that front too. Yeah, I mean, or they could shift gears and just cover Kirk Cousins, you know, because he's a survivorist, you know. So maybe yes. you know we see if he can survive. Uh, How would that be? He's no, retracted. He has restepped. Yeah. He's stepped back. But you know, it's it doesn't feel like, you know, I think he's saying the right things now. But whatever was happening before was definitely not, you know, like. He said what he said. Yeah. And the headline, it's, if, it's, if, if it's, you didn't no, hear it, yeah. No empathy is, is yeah. the part that really bothers me. Not so much that he thinks he's, he can survive, but it's the empathy right. part that he's really kind of lost himself on. Yeah. The, the headline was, <laughs> if, if I die, I die. Um, and that was, those were comments he made to a podcast back in July. They air in August. And he did spend a good portion um, upon the release of that podcast and those comments um, with a wheelbarrow and a shovel trying to yes. do some cleanup. Yeah, yeah, for sure. College basketball, mourning the loss of two iconic coaches. Arizona's Lou Olson passing away at the age of 85. He led his Wildcats to four Final Fours, including the 1997 national title. Another Hall of Famer, John Thompson, who led Georgetown to the 1984 national championship, passing away at the age of 78. Thompson took three of his Hoya teams to the Final Four, and also to seven Big East titles. Veteran sportscaster Dave Sims worked with Thompson on numerous NCAA tournament games, and Dave is good enough to join us on the Sporting Views. Uh, David, your memories of Coach Thompson? Well, you know, big, domineering, brilliant, smart, uh, proud, profane, uh, funny, uh, I, you know, I had a chance to work with him on Westwood One National Radio Broadcast NCAA Tournament. I think at the last time was 07. His son, John Thompson III, had Georgetown in the East Region Finals against North Carolina. And the thing I remember most, we're in overtime, and the players come out. They break the huddle, and they're out on the floor, but we're still waiting for 
TV to come back and even radio to come back from commercial. And Jeff Green, who was the top player for, uh, for Georgetown, was, I'll never forget, he was walking right to left. We were between like the foul line and the midcourt line. So he was walking from our right to left. And Coach Thompson bellows out, you, can, it, I, I won't cuss, but we'll just say, you, you Maryland farmer, take over the game. Come <laughs> it right now. And Jeff Green's eyes were as big as the moon. And then if, I, if memory serves correctly, I, I haven't looked at, gone back to look it up, but I remember – Obviously, Georgetown won in overtime, and I think Jeff had four or five ba- baskets, maybe a couple of stops down the other end. And then at the end of the game, I mean, John Thompson III wins the game, is the winning coach, and they're on the far side to our left. But what happened was all the players, they were waiting to set up for the post-game ceremony and the medals or whatever they were going to do. All the players came over basically to kiss John's ring, came over and <laughs> hug him and everything. And I'll never forget, Pete Carrill, the great Princeton coach, was behind us. Uh, a few rows. He came down on the floor, and John Thompson III had played for Pete at Princeton. So I'm on the air. Welcome back, everybody. And it's like it's old homeboy. Yo, Pete. Hey, how are you? I haven't seen you, Coach Taper. David, good to see you. How's everything? And we're chatting along. Like, oh my God, we got a we got a game to recap here. And it was just funny. I had a buddy of mine, a sports writer friend of mine, Jack Wilkinson, called up. He says that was great listening to old home week, hearing all those voices and names from the past. That, it was a blast. And I, I'd worked, I remember another time, Chris Paul was still at uh, Wake Forest and they were beating a Billy Donovan Florida team, which was a pretty good ball club. And I just remember at one point, Wake was really sticking it to him. We get in the second half. We come out of the break, you know, Dave Sims, John Thompson, we're here in Raleigh, North Carolina, yada, yada, yada. And I said, Coach, really good run here by, by Wake Forest. David, Wake Forest is bogarting. Florida. <laughs> Just cracked me up. Told it then, like it was. Yeah. And then uh, he did 13 years with another dear friend of mine, uh, Doc Walker in D.C. Hmm. And I remember going on their show a couple of times. And, and there was this, I said, I know you're not a country music fan. Why am I hearing? And I, you know, I know who Alan Jackson is. Why am I hearing Alan Jackson's Papa Top? Big John likes country music. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> that's a surprise yeah you know and uh he had another he had a go away song you know in the show song i don't remember what that was but the thing i really enjoyed and and i let's see he was by the time i started coaching i mean uh, calling big east games i think he had already retired the craig estrick was there but i've gotten a kick out of listening to doc walker mike wilbon jay adande david aldridge all those guys who were at the Washington Post or in Washington, and they covered them at various points. And I saw Wilbon had a quote. He says, hey, I didn't play for John Thompson, but he's been coaching me for 40 years. Mm. Life lessons, Tony Kornheiser had him to that bunch. He had, a, you know, he had a professional relationship with them. And with the young black reporters at the time, that was a big deal. I mean, he was the, you know, he was the most renowned black coach in any sport at that, during, you know, during his heyday. Yeah. And you had a pretty progressive Washington Post sports department that had, like, I was always the only black guy pretty much everywhere I've been. Washington Post had four, five, six black guys at the same time, all pretty much about a half generation younger than I am. 
and John was not a good sleeper and for whatever reason. So he would return calls at night. I've heard Wilbon tell stories about, yeah, get your ass over here. I know it's three in the morning. Come to the office right now. Or pick up, hey, what are you doing? I'm sleeping, coach. It's 2.30 <laughs> in the morning. What do you want from me? So he, he had a – I mean, they loved the guy. I mean, yeah. my interactions were maybe five or – you know, the last time I saw him was – uh, probably just November, December of 18, I did a game at Georgetown. And he was there. And, you know, he, he's such a presence that he's sitting there in the end zone. Hey, Coach Dave said, yeah, babe, I know who you are. How are you? How's everything? Good to see you. This, you know, this basso right. profundo voice, you know. Just the uh, kind of, you know, tough. Tough yeah. guy. I mean, his team's played smart. And, and you probably read 97% of his players graduated. Mm-hmm. He saved Allen Iverson's life. And probably numerous others. I mean, the guy—he was—it's a tremendous loss, and uh, and I know for the sports community and for the black sports community, forget about it. It's a huge. It really is just humongous. You know, you mentioned that that toughness. For me, the, the lasting image of John Thompson uh, goes back to—it's actually a combination of of. 1982, the national championship game loss to North Carolina. Of course, the oh famous God. Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan shot. Yeah. Brown, you know, Hoyas still have a chance. Fred Brown at Georgetown inexplicably passes the ball to James Worthy. Okay, so two years later, here come the Hoyas into Seattle. I covered right. that Final Four. It was a phenomenal lineup. It's Georgetown, Kentucky. Phi Slamma Jamma with, with uh, Akeem and that group, uh, Virginia. Great big men, Dave, in that final four. You had Brown. Sam Bowie. Go ahead. You had the Perkins kid with Kentucky. You had Patrick. And who am I leaving out? I'm leaving somebody out. Now, that was it. for Virginia. Well, yeah, had all the yeah, Nobody yeah, was really talking it. about him, but he had a nice NBA career. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He had a nice college career, too. He had so, New York. Kid. Yeah. So we fast forward through that final four to the championship game. Georgetown wins. And it was John Thompson getting to Fred Brown. CBS did a great job covering yeah. that, too. And the embrace, knowing what that young man had gone through since that 92 moment, or excuse me, yeah. that 82 moment, yeah. to then I be victorious that. at that point. So we Poignant, pointed that. moment and one of the great moments you ever want to see in sports. Yeah. And I was so glad that Freddie was still around to, be, to play a part and, and, and get a ring. And, yep. You know, balance the sheet, if you will. Yeah. Well, redemption for him, redemption for the program, and uh, no bigger presence when Big East basketball was at its apex than John Thompson. Uh, He will certainly forever be remembered around college basketball. Before I let you go, uh, for folks that don't know, Dave is is one of the outstanding play-by-play voices of the Seattle Mariners, and there's one part of this COVID-shortened season I want to ask you about. Uh, Broadcasters are not traveling with the teams, and I've just got to tip my cap uh, to you and the rest of your, your crew with the Mariners. When the team is on the road, you guys are actually in T-Mobile Park in Seattle because you're not traveling with the team. And right. Folks that don't know that, you wouldn't know that. You're, you're doing a great job, Dave, and it is not the easiest thing. What has been that experience like? Yeah. Calling a game off a TV set, I would imagine the toughest part would be the long balls, whether or not you got something that's going to the warning track or is going to be a home run. You got to wait. You got to wait. I mean, something, there have been a couple of balls that have been crushed, and I've called it, and I called it accurately. And sometimes, and sometimes I just take a chance. I mean, Marmaleos put a good swing on a ball the other day, and I could tell by the sound that it was, it was going to go. And then when, once you see the outfielder's back, you know, see his number. 
But um, I don't mind acknowledging that we're doing it that way. You know, I, I, it, it's, I just can't say, hey, the, the Mariners are, you know, I, I'm not in Anaheim. I'm calling this game from <laughs> T-Mobile Park, okay? And luckily, at least on the TV side, they'll show us and sometimes, you know, they'll show us in the booth, the booth camera. But what's been weird is like looking down at the monitor and using, you know, when you're doing a live game, you go, you know, you watch the field, then you come back to the monitor, you go monitor back to the field. And it was really weird. There was, there was a time, first week of doing the road games, you know, here's a pitch foul back and I started ducking. And, I said, and I, then I look out and I see all the cardboard cutouts and there's nobody in the ball. <laughs> that was whacked. That was totally yeah. whacked. And Mike Blower said he did the same thing. He was ducking. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Robbie, our, our stage manager, Bubba, our, our, our sound guy, everybody does the same thing. They're like looking out when they're not here. So when they've come home, it's been great. I mean, oh, my God, we got live action bodies. We're not watching something off of TV. Right. And the sight, you know, you still don't – you miss the sound of the crowd. Yeah. You still get the crack of the bat. And you can hear guys chattering. And one time we heard one umpire say who, – I'm trying to remember who we were playing. Might have been uh, Oakland. He says – Hey, Bob, you know, I can hear you. You know, he's cussing the umpire. And everybody says, Bob, you know, I can hear you. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, but, yeah, that, 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 that ability to hear some of that stuff that's going on on the field, those conversations or, or comments every now and then is, is, I guess we would describe it as a bonus in a, a very challenging situation, obviously, for everyone. Yeah. Nobody wants this. Nobody likes it. But, but um, I just think you guys are doing a great job making the most of a, a tough situation. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And, you know, somebody said they can, if I get excited or, you know, Rick or Aaron or somebody on the play-by-play, they can hear us down on the field, you know, when they're home. Yeah. yeah it makes sense. Although I will say the Mariner uh, in-stadium entertainment folks, they do a spectacular job. They're award-winning and they do a good job of controlling, the, you know, like the ambient crowd noise mm-hmm. that you would normally hear. Yeah. I think they've done the best of any of you know, all the broadcasts we've done, the first 30-something games or whatever the heck it is. I think they've done a tremendous job and make it sound like, you know, like it's as close to, it's not normal, but as close to normal as you can get. Always great to catch up, my friend. We appreciate your memories. Thank you, buddy. And we appreciate your insight into what's going on at T-Mobile Park. Be safe out there. Anytime. All right, Tom. Thanks. Be well. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. Well, Bill, let's, uh, I want to talk about a gentleman who um, passed away last week and it it just um, added to, my belief that 2020, frankly, is a year that just sucks in so many ways. I know there's a, there is joy out there in, in, under the umbrella of, of the pandemic, but you know, all the, there just seems to be more tragedies, more sadness, more. But, but losing an actor like Chadwick Boseman at the age of 43, um, someone who did such a fabulous uh, job uh, portraying the likes of Thurgood Marshall, James Brown. Um, obviously, he he was the Black Panther and one of the great mega hits in Hollywood history. But for our purposes, um, what he did in the movie 42, portraying Jackie Robinson, uh, I think was, you know, not only entertaining, but I, he clearly introduced, if not one, but a couple of generations who didn't maybe recognize the importance of Jackie Robinson, the price that Jackie Robinson had to pay to break baseball's color barrier. And, and he did it in such 
an exceptional manner. It's, it's just such a loss. It's, it's just incredulous that he's gone. I mean, I, I just, he, he looks, uh, you know, so young and fit and full of life and cancer is a, a mean, devious bugger. And, uh, you know, we're all touched by it. And this one was touched way too soon because he had a lot more to bring to us. Yeah. He had a lot more stories to tell. He had a lot more um, ways to, uh, to, to, to uh, thrill us. And, 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 and it's just a, a really, really sad, sad time right now to reflect upon just a very short career that, that extinguished too quick. And certainly his portrayal of uh, Jackie Robinson is important. Um, he did a marvelous job of it. Uh, the, the movie was well done. Uh, certainly, uh, Jackie's wife had a lot to do with that movie, and so I think it was a very accurate portrayal. And really, uh, to understand how incredibly difficult it was to be Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. and it meant a lot to him to do it well to represent the family. I mean, he felt the pressure. Yeah. Interestingly, I didn't quite catch the whole story on this, but Ken Griffey Jr. had a lot to do with this movie being made that evidently some conversations that came up with some place where uh, Ken was out talking to groups of youth and the name of Jackie Robinson came up and the kids didn't know who he was. Hmm. And this sort of got the conversation going. And so Kenny was part of the kind of behind the scenes thrust to make this movie happen. So I think that's kind of interesting, but uh, yeah, to understand the, the racial epithets, the things that happened to him that were so unbelievable that he had to take, that he had to continue to take. Uh, it took, it, it was a, an extraordinary choice by Branch Rickey to choose him. He was the right guy and he was a good player too. Um, wow. Unfortunately, I think all this really weighed upon his health because he yeah. didn't live a long life either. Uh, he was gone too soon. Chadwick Boseman passing away at the age of 43 due to colon cancer. So let me, yeah. let me, let me do a quick PSA on that issue. Um, as someone who has had way too many colonoscopies in my lifetime, okay, <laughs> I, I will tell you, while they are not the most joyful thing to go through, um, if you need one, if your doctor says you should have one, get it done. If you have symptoms or if your doctor says you got to go get this thing done, get that thing done. All right. Get that thing. You done. know, I, I think the big advice, you know, because I've, I've had some interesting things happen to me is really the whole story is to see your physician. I think guys are sloppy and mm-hmm. what they ought to do because I've had sudden cardiac arrest, Tom, as you well know. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it speaks volumes to the fact that I had, interestingly enough, had not seen my doctor for four and a half years before this happened. And the last time I'd seen him was to get my colonoscopy. So in any event, it's the idea that we're not John Wayne. You know, you need to get in, maybe make it some date, make it the same date every year. So it's sort of like trying to remember, you know, things like anniversaries and birthdays. And this will be one that will always be on the same day. And that's why you'll never miss your annual physical. Yeah. That's the key. Yes, sir. Ask the questions. Good so words. there you go. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to wrap up uh, this edition of the Sporting Views with uh, what we believe were the final recorded words of Chadwick Boseman to his fans talking about the importance of registering to vote and voting. Here he is. All that, that 70 million 
um, group of young people who will come out and vote. I believe in you. I think you can turn um, our nation around. You can make it live up to what it's supposed to do. It's, it's not just that you are the future. You're actually the present. You're actually um, what we're supposed to be at this moment. And the fact that you have a voice, the fact that you can have a say, you know, you vote for whoever you want for, vote for what you believe in. But I believe that the majority of you can see what's actually happening and you want things to change. So I say all that to say, you know, thank you in advance for, um, for your input and the victory um, that is to come.